That's great to see. I'm thinking I might have to slightly aim this way. We've got heavily weighted on this side. Sorry, guys. Only, <laughs> only joking. Now, I don't know if you can guess what my favourite genre of film is. And if you can guess the film as well. We're going 90s and noughties. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thrillers, yeah, horror films. Uh, <laughs> horror films, yeah, exactly. No, um, I am a fan of romantic comedies. I confess it. Gentle are there any other gentlemen here, gentlemen here that are fans of romantic comedies? Great, thank you. You did just name <laughs> Well, basically, quite often, on a, now and again on a date night, me and Nikki will watch a film. And it's not uncommon for us to watch a rom-com in a little bit of darkness, and then towards the end of the film, Nick, there'll be a little bit of whimpering. And Nicky will turn to me and say, Dan, are you crying? <laughs> and I'll be like, no, why'd you say that? As floods of tears at seeing Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan kissing and embracing at the end just gets me every time I'm sleepless in Seattle and you've got mail. I love romantic comedies. I do, I have to say, I do enjoy them. But what I also love is I love when I get to come to church and I get to see everybody and I get to see people hugging, crying together, laughing together, reading the word together, it absolutely fills my heart with so much joy because I, when there's a lot of love in the room, I love it when there's a lot of love in the room. And I feel that often here on a Sunday, there's a lot of love in the room for one another. And it's great. And because love matters. Love is important. It really, really does matter. And especially, we're going to be looking at brotherly love today, filio love, as it's called, that tender-heartedness, that... Um, just deep brotherly affection and sisterly affection that we can have for one another. So can we just turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? Um, I don't know why I've got that on there. That's the wrong passage. <laughs> I put the wrong passage in. That's great. Um, but it's verses 9 to 12. Verses 9 to 12. And that's on page 1,187, the very bottom of that. Unless Ben can work some magic, but don't worry, it's fine. It's... And if, um, if in other Bibles, I don't know what page it is, I'm afraid, but it reads this. It says, now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Yeah, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this church in Thessalonica that was living a life that was pleasing to you, that was seeking to love one another. 
Lord, I pray that we would learn much today from your word, that it would challenge us, it would excite us, that we would know that we can only do all these things through the power of the Holy Spirit that you've gifted us. So, Lord, I pray that we would just be attentive, that we would hear what you want us to hear today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, as Christians, we are to show Christ to the world by loving each other genuinely. It's a great message. After last week's message where we were looking at um, (coughs) sexual purity and sexual immorality, which is important, but also quite a challenging topic to talk about. But today we get to talk about love, loving each other genuinely and just that how important that is as a gospel witness to those that don't know Jesus. And <clears throat> Paul has said to them, he's, he said that basically, guys, in Thessalonica, you are a church that I see that has the power of the Holy Spirit in you, that you are doing acts of faith, you are obedient to the Father, obedient to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. You are, you are following how you are supposed to live. You are pleasing God in how you do that. And last week, as we said, he was talking about um, sexual morality and how they can um, live lives that are pleasing to him within, uh, with sexual purity. But this week, it's about love. How can you live a life that honors God through loving one another? The great message, the great truth. And he urges them more and more. I want you to do this more and more. Because, guys, it is God who gives us the capacity to do this. Before I say anything else, I just want to be clear here, just as it was last week, that it is the power of the Holy Spirit in us that is the thing that's going to help us love others and love each other more. We can't fake it. We can't do it ourselves in our own strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in us to help us do this. So... It's an exciting message for us today, I believe. And Paul says, you've been taught by God. You've been taught by God. We've been taught by God. How do, we, how do we love one another? How do we know how to love one another? Because God has first loved us. God has first loved us. That's how we know how to love. Because of God's great love for us in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. God loves you. And out of that love that he has for you, we are therefore to then go and love one another, love each other. And what we see in this passage is, first of all, that as followers of Jesus, we are to have a love that shows. We are to have a love that shows, that just exudes out of us. It says this in verse 9, Now about your love for one another, that brotherly love, that filio love, We do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. That tender-hearted warmth towards one another. It's a friendship like uh, we're called to, like Jonathan and David. If you've read any of the accounts of Jonathan and David's friendship, it was just so beautiful. It was so deep. In 1 Samuel 18, it says this, that after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. They were knit together as one. That's the kind of brotherly affection, sisterly affection that we're called to, to love each other in that way. And it's only the effect of a divine grace that makes one heart and one soul between two believers be able to be knit together like that. 
Friendship like that, brotherly love like that, is only possible when we follow Jesus Christ. It's only possible. It's a divine gift. It's a grace that we're given. And so as you look around the room at each other here, we are able to have that closeness, that bond, that brotherly and sisterly affection for one another, that deep love for one another. And the Thessalonians... Their love for one another was so apparent that Paul even says in his letter, I don't need to write these words, but I'm going to write them anyway, basically. He doesn't need to write the words that they love each other so much because it's just so apparent. It's like, we don't need to know this. We're doing this already. But Paul's like, I want to urge you to do it even more. He so often does this. You're doing it, but do it more. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Do it more and more. Show your love for one another more and more. And this is really important. It's really important that we grasp this because what happens when we struggle to love each other? What are the effects when we struggle to love one another? And I just want us to look very quickly at um, 1 John chapter 3. These, these are quite, um, what's the word? Not humbling. Well, they are humbling. What word am I looking at? I'm always looking at Nikki, she's not here. Anyway. <laughs> See what you think. Um, Let's read it. It says this, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need but has no pity on them, how can can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. Incredible words. Quite humbling. So sobering. That was the word I was looking for. Sobering words, aren't they? Love matters. Our love for one another matters because it shows see our capacity to love one another reveals much about our hearts since genuine love is a reflection of God's presence in us I'm going to say that again our capacity to love one another will reveal much about our hearts at times we all struggle to love but it does reveal our hearts and where they're at at times doesn't it how genuine is our love for one another. When I was thinking about this, it just got me thinking, well, how might an absence of genuine brotherly love affect our church or affect a church? What happens when there's not that genuine affection for one another? Because you can go to church, you can get solid Bible teaching, you can get some, some worship that uplifts you and makes you feel good. But if you go to a church and love is not present amongst body believers... There's something wrong, and you can notice it straight away, can't you? And you walk into the room, these guys don't care for each other. I'm not saying that about here, just to make sure I'm clear about that. You can't fake love, and you can't fake it for long. But a church that has a genuine love for one another, it always comes from a place that they love God, first and foremost. And out of that, they love one another All people will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. 
It will show the world that we are his. The picture to the world that Christ is in us and that we are different. I have to say, um, I didn't ask permission for this. So guys, from Monday night, I'm about to share something from there. That's, but Anyway, what stays at Monday night men's club, st- what happens there stays there. But I do want to share a little bit of something from last Monday night. What? what, what? Except, it's my- <laughs> <laughs> Except for in front of the whole church. But um, for the last four or five weeks, we started up a, like a men's discipleship group. There's about nine of us that go. And, and to be fair, we didn't really know each Not very many of us knew each other before that particularly well. And yet, I have to say that in the space of four weeks, and pretty much not everybody knowing each other very well, there is just this beautiful um, openness and beautiful affection for one another. And we were just talking about it on Monday night, and someone said, I won't name names, but someone said um, that if we, didn't know each, if, if we didn't have Christ in common, pretty sure we, our paths wouldn't have crossed in life. And we looked around the room and we thought, that's, probably, that's pretty true. That is pretty true. But what was beautiful is that what's happened is that over the weeks that have gone by, Scripture is put on this WhatsApp group. Someone puts a prayer request on there, and we all pray. And we come back and we share some more and so forth. And it's just been absolutely wonderful. And so, guys, I want to say I love it and also encourage other guys. If you want to be part of it, please do join us. But there is just something about, even though it didn't, take, it didn't even take that long, just a few weeks of being willing to open up. And I'm sure if anyone was watching and looking at that group, they'd say there's a lot of love for people, each other in that room. But a genuine love flows out from a genuine relationship with God. A genuine love flows from a genuine relationship with God. And I just want us to be, I want us to be careful as a church that we don't rest on our laurels, that, we, that where there's any love that's lacking in our hearts towards anyone else in the church, that we are praying about it, we're asking God to reveal that to us, and we're just taking steps to, to help that stop from happening. Warren Weasby, Warren Weasby, I never say his name right, but anyway, he says this. I thought he was, when I was preparing for this sermon, he says this, fish do not attend classes to, learn, classes to learn how to swim. And birds by nature put out their wings and flap in order to fly. It is nature that determines action. Because a Christian has God's nature, he loves. Because God is love. It's a natural thing that we have that is given to us when we have God in us. I encourage us in that, that if we're struggling in that, and that happens from time to time, but we have God in us that's able to help us. And we can all probably think of brothers or sisters that we know, brothers and sisters in Christ, we know that just exude that love for others. Probably picture them now. People that just exude that love for other brothers and sisters. And at the heart of them is because Christ abides closely in them. You can't, you can't have one without the other. So I just want to encourage us to have a love that shows. Let's be, let's be a people that are um, showing brotherly affection, a sisterly affection to one another. Let's be pursuing that. But at the heart is a pursuit of God. And it's a pursuit that never stops. Paul urges them more and more to do this. But also, 
if you see somebody and evidence in their life of someone that is just this natural, well, not even just natural, someone that exudes brotherly or sisterly affection, I think it's good and right for us to honor them and say, I see the love that you have. Keep going. I urge you, love people more and more. God is at work in your life. Encourage them. Maybe send a text to them right now. Maybe there's someone you know that you've maybe has been discipling you even from a distance or someone from years ago. Someone that you know exudes that love for other people. Encourage them. Encourage them that, that God is obviously at work in their hearts. Lord, help me to show brotherly and sisterly love to my family here. Secondly, as followers of Jesus, our love goes as well. I love this. Um, that we see that this brotherly love for one another in this church is so apparent that it's extended across Macedonia. This church is known for their brotherly and sisterly love for one another. It says this in verse 10. And in fact, have I missed something out? In fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. We urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. This love that they had for one another was just apparent and was going out to the wider area. This was a laboring love. This was a love that knew no bounds, and it extended to other Christians across Macedonia. They also even sent generously to the Judean church. Then, when they were in need, they gave generous gifts of finances to that church. There's something about extending our love, not just within this church, but also outwards towards other places as well. There's something about, we've talked a lot about today, haven't we, about giving to the work here at this church, and that's really important, really important. But also there's, there's dozens and hundreds and thousands of churches around the country, around the world, that really need to experience, out of our love for one another, a generosity to their need. And just this week, I've experienced this. It was really, really sweet that obviously we're going through a season of seeking the Lord and asking him to provide for us financially. And just this week, I had a text in the early hours of the morning from someone from, the, from America who had just been over twice last year, um, just for a weekend each time. And they saw the love that we had for one another here. And they were so bowled over by it that they texted me to say that they had met with their elders at their church which is a new church plan, to say that they, want, they were considering supporting the work of this church because of what they'd seen. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's how the church should work. And I know that often for us in this country, we don't get to go across and see other churches and other places. Some, we haven't done that very much. I'd like to encourage you, maybe we should do that. But is there, is there a way in which our brotherly love, even as a church or you as, in, as an individual, could extend that past this local church? Who is there that's in need? Who do we know? Who do you know across the world that might appreciate that generosity that comes because of your brotherly or sisterly love towards them? So our love shows it should go as well, but also just to make sure it... Um, Sounds 
alliteration to a degree, as followers of Jesus, our love grows as well. Our love is to grow. We urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Paul is encouraging them from the depth, that, from the depth of their love to grow more and more for their, brother, for their brothers and sisters. And the only way that this can happen, guys, is when we look to God for help. The only way that we can do that. What's beautiful is we, we see Jesus, don't we, that how he humbled himself, how he washes the disciples' feet just before he's going to go to the cross, be arrested and go to the cross. He showed them the extent of his love. He followed it through by going to the, going to the cross, taking the, the cup of wrath that we deserve. He took it himself. His love knew no boundaries. Our love for one another is to love, is to have no boundaries. Because it's easy to say sometimes, I can love this person because they're a little bit more like me. But how do we love when there's opposition, even within the church, when there's disagreement, when maybe somebody wrongs you? See, only if our love is a growing love, a love that extends even to those that are different than us, are we really knowing what it means to love without boundaries, that is boundless. Jesus' love was the same. Where there is indifference, bitterness, maybe resentment. If you're ever feeling that about a brother or sister, we know what the Bible tells us to do, but, but pray for them. It's hard to pray for people and stay angry at them. I would say it's almost impossible to pray for somebody regularly and be bitter or have resentment towards them. I just want to encourage us that that I do think that we are a church that really, truly does love and love one another well. But if we, I urge us and I urge you, let's do it more and more. Is there anybody that you need to um, pray for and give over to the Lord a situation that you're struggling with? Because we don't want that to seep in, do we? We don't want bitterness or resentment or anger to seep in. I've been grateful at times when people, when I know on at least two occasions I can put my hand and remember where someone has come to me and said something that I was oblivious that I'd maybe caused offence in some way or said something in a way that I didn't realise. And I was so grateful, maybe not in that moment, um, but I was so grateful... <laughs> that those two people were willing to say something to me because there was stuff I needed to repent of, to say sorry for. They didn't let it fester. They didn't let it grow. It was dealt with there and then. As Christians, our love shows, it goes, and it grows. And it's a wonderful, wonderful way that unbelievers are able to see that we're different. We are different how we love and how we care for each other. But in the second part, in verses 11 and 12, Paul changes from focusing on the importance of love within the church that spreads to the outside world to the importance of, how we, of leading a quiet life, how we're to lead a quiet life as Christians. So let's just have a look at this now. As Christians, we are to show Christ the world by leading a quiet life. Look what he says in verse 11. He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and that you, may, and you will not be dependent on anybody. 
dependent on anybody. Paul is concerned about how, they are beha- how their behaving will affect unbelievers and what they think of them. He tells them, mind your own affairs. Work with your own hands. And actually, the ESV puts it like this. He says, um, it says, um, so that you may walk properly in the eyes of, unbel- of outsiders. What he's saying is, he wants, basically, whatever believers and unbelievers regard as improper behavior, we need to act in a way that honors that. Don't take up patterns of behaviors that even the world sees as unseemly and inappropriate or unhelpful and offensive. Make it your ambition. I love that. Make it your ambition to strive for a quiet life. That's quite an odd thing, isn't it? When you think of ambition, you think of achieving so much, in the, like power or money or esteem and so forth. But Paul's idea of ambition is not just drifting through life without God goals, about God-taught goals and plans and aspirations. Godly ambition is not about a relentless pursuit for power, fame, or money, but it's, 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 a, it's, it's about being ambitious to striving to live in a way that honors the Lord, that gives a great example to, to unbelievers. They can say, look at their life. Because the gospel is only as believable as the changed lives of those who proclaim it. The gospel is only as believable as the changed lives of those who proclaim it. We're to lead a quiet life, but an ambitious life for God. Our ambition is to, to be zealous to lead a quiet life where we're not busybodies. Mind your own business. We're to mind our own business. Just a simple practical application. He says that you should mind your own business. And Paul's starting to bring up a potential problem that he might be seeing in the church. There's murmurings of busybodying going on. And I don't know if you've ever watched any TV program that kind of has, like, the church in it in any way. But, like, Father Brown. Has anyone watched Father Brown? Thank you. Oh, two episodes, okay. Um, There's always a busybody, isn't there? There's always someone in the church that is a busybody and not giving a great um, reflection of what the, the gospel is. But we're not to stick our nose in. We're not to stick our nose in and cause trouble. We have, there's, a, there's enough suffering that comes our own way, but for us to cause it ourselves by sticking our noses into something that isn't our business is not great. Paul says, have a quiet life. Mind your own business. Mind your own business. But he also says then, something we'll focus on a little bit more, is work with your hands. Work with your hands. Idleness is creeping into the church. He can see it coming. He's saying, don't be idle. And we'll look at this in a moment. But, but basically what's happening is that the day of the Lord is coming. They're expecting it to come at any moment. And that's a way we should live. Lord, Jesus can return at any point for a second time. But what happened is the Christians were sold up possessions, sold up land, and were sponging off other Christians to get by and not working. And Paul's like, no, 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 don't be idle. Don't be idle. Work. Wait for the day of the Lord to come, but, but work as you do that. And then we see it creeping in a bit more. Chapter 5, verse 14, he says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. And then in Paul's next letter to Thessalonians, look what he says. I'm going to read this out at length because it's really important to see. It was creeping in in his first letter, and then it was well and truly set in 
by his second letter to the Thessalonians. Look at this. It says this. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teachings um, that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked day and night, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right um, to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. But even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busybodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. Idleness is not a way to live in the eyes of outsiders. If we're able to work, if we're able to get work, we should work. And the warning is the same for us. The same warning for us, do not be idle. Actually, busybodies are off. If, they don't have many, if people don't have anything to do, then busybodying is something to do, isn't it? They kind of mix. Work is good. Work gives a platform for us to be able to go and show and share the gospel. And I remember at my last school that I worked at, which was an incredibly challenging place to work, but there were about five or six really strong believers in that, in that school. And it was really, really encouraging to be there with, the, with those guys. And they were diligent, hardworking, the best teachers in the school, They were the ones that the students would go to, the ones that the staff would go to in their hour of need to go and share their problems. It was a great opportunity for them to to show the gospel, to be the best workers, but also then to offer a word about Jesus when when staff would come to them in their need. I'd often walk past their rooms and there'd be other staff in there asking them for help. As Christians, we get to work within our society We get to do a good job in a quiet way that shows our love for Jesus in how we work. But also, when we get the opportunity, we get to share the gospel into people's lives because they see it genuinely in ours. I can guarantee you that if you... Well, I can pretty much guarantee you, and I know from others in here that, that do this, that as you work, and as you work in a way that gains the respect of people through working quietly, conscientiously, and well, there is an opportunity to share something of the good news of Jesus Christ with them. They will come to you in their hour of need. They will open up to you. Just got some questions for us just to finish with. Either Maybe take take a photo of these, but also I think we'll just give five minutes to answer have a chat around tables about one or two of these how can you tell if the members of a church actually love each other how can you tell that what does leading a quiet life look like for you what ways can you work with your hands that will point people to christ just a few questions for us to think about how can you tell if members of the church actually love each other what 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 do you see in this church what would you like to see What does leading a quiet life look like for you? What ways can you work with your hands to point to Christ, even in this just next week? Give us a few moments around tables as we put some music on in the background. If you don't have many people around your table, please um, gather together.
That would be great.